Yeah, sorry, it looks like a sort of sociopath's house back here. Like, I just moved into this apartment. Like, we're um, sharing ear- earphones like we're dating. <laughs> exactly. We're like Siamese, like, podcast twins right now. I was going to say, like, um, it's sort of, like, got a quiet place, like, slow dance vibe. So if y'all need to take a minute, like, I respect that completely. Mm-hmm. It's more like Jim and Pam than a quiet place. <laughs> 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 so, uh, and I guess uh, to get started, man, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we're going to be talking to you about, are you at not only, where, actually, that's a good question to start off. Where are you from originally? Um, I am actually a first generation immigrant from the Philippines, um, but I've been in Atlanta since 2005 and I've been organizing since 2007 as a little baby liberal. And, uh, you know, I fully recognize that there's an interesting tension between like identifying as a southerner and like being an Asian human being, um, which I would be excited to talk about. But um, you know, it's been really interesting. And at this moment, um, I was reproductive justice fellow with the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, NAPOF ATL, which has been under the hot lamp recently, given recent uh, horrible happenings. And um, I also do work with the Housing Justice League and some... Shout out to HAL, by the way. I used to work for them as well. Yeah, they're they're great. Um, you know, I, like the 501c3 format has its interesting limitations. Um, and so I do some off-grid stuff as well. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm just a regular lady, incandescent with rage constantly forever. How, how old are you exactly? If- if you, if you don't mind me asking, I'm sorry. Um, I'm 29. I am like, uh, I've gotten to that point where I just start saying I'm 30 just because it's fewer syllables. Close enough. Um, no. And now I'm just starting to believe it, you know? It's yeah. also an even number. It feels a little bit... Uh, it feels yeah. like saying I'm 10 and a half. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. yeah. <laughs> it feels like a flat nothing. So that means how old were you when you moved to the Atlanta area in 2005? It was literally like when I was starting high school. Okay. And I moved to the suburbs north of Atlanta, which I'm sure y'all might know as like, you know, Alpharetta. Fucking like, you know. Is that where you went to high school, Alpharetta? Yeah. And I was one of like, you know, sub five Asian people in my particular school. And um, it was an interesting time to be like a minority and also, you know, a teenager who thought Barack Obama was really fucking cool or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I grew up in Gwinnett. So, I mean, I, I had a really, really, really large class size. But you said you were one of how many Asian people in the in the class population? Like sub five, which to speak to that experience, like I don't think it's that interesting, but it definitely... Like, as you get sort of more well-learned, I guess, in adulthood, it certainly casts, like, your previous experiences in an interesting light, yeah. right? I, I wanted to say, like, you said it's not that uh, interesting. And I'm a northerner, right? So when I moved down here, like, I had, even as a Black person, and my parents are from Jamaica, right? So I had preconceived notions as a Black immigrant who was born and raised in the North of the South. And I think that a lot of people, like a lot of Americans, like, especially, like, white liberals— they perceive the the South to be like this node of racial animosity, but only between blacks and whites. Right. And they ignore like I think we all do. Right. Like we ignore like the, the racial supremacy of like and domination, not of just black people, but like. Asian people as well, right? Black and brown people, like, writ large. Yeah, I think it's, like, easy and even not entirely incorrect to sort of view it as this dichotomous relationship, but, like, you know, um, anti-blackness being the huge and, like, all-encompassing framework that it is by necessity and white supremacy being, like, this big framework as it is, again, by necessity and historically. Um, And so, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of shifting rhetoric around, like, the importance of, like, 
or at least like the context of bringing in like Asians into the discussion, right? Because I feel like you could get deep into the history of like race science and like why this is important. But the most salient point to me ultimately is always the fact that like um, what people are at this moment calling anti-Asian-ness like um, or like, you know, the need to stop Asian hate or whatnot is just tied to, you know, um, the white supremacist imperative to like dominate, right? Yeah. <laughs> and also compartmentalize, right? Because like I saw a tweet um, from somebody today that they were like anti-Asian, like, you know, like uh, racism or something like that or anti-Asian sentiment, like in quotes, they were like, that's racism, motherfucker. You know what I mean? We haven't really addressed like, you know, the original sin of this country, but it's contextualized as, as you said, the dichotomy of black and white racism, right? And not the way, especially not with a lens through imperialism, especially the way the United States has exerted imperial power all across the fucking world, including among Asian countries, right? Especially so. Oh, including and especially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, I, I see we're just getting right in it because like I've got like oh, 10,000 yeah. honey nut filios. Um, <laughs> for contrast, like uh, my a lot of my organizing work like uh, functionally takes place in the 501c3 space, which is more focused on like, you know, um, substantive policy gains for AAPI populations here in the South and elsewhere. Um, but for the record, like um, the AAPI, like progressive to leftist movement, like is an interesting space to kind of exist in um, because a lot of the space is taken up by I'm really hesitant to use the phrase like liberal intelligentsia. But like, yeah, you kind of see those folks taking front and center. Um, I talked to those folks, uh, the wonderful ladies on like a hot girl agenda. Right. About. um uh, how, you know, there was a big coalition of folks, for example, lining up behind Elizabeth Warren, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, mm -hmm. it, during the democratic primaries over the past couple of years. And, um, that points to like a certain dominance of like the rhetoric around like API politics, like around a certain, I want to say like level of discourse, but as you like very astutely pointed out, like the ultimately like, <sighs> Like API coalition building, like is prem is it, its basis is in like being anti-war, mm. you know, um, as you mentioned, like imperialism is like the only thing that like sort of renders me as having something immediately in common with like the next API person who isn't Filipina, you know, mm. um, you know, I think a lot about how, like, first of all, Pacific Islanders talk about how they're often ex like, you know, in functionally, they're included in the API acronym. Right. Like and that's according to like the White House, like API history month or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, but all the same, like, you know, the economic and like, um, you know, sociological realities of those folks is way different from like an East Asian population or like, you know, even like a Southeast Asian population. Um, the fact is, like what. I have in common with a Marshall Islander, what a Japanese person has in common with a Marshall Islander, that sort of thing. Like Marshall Islanders being people who just had their access to Medicaid, which, you know, restored last December, I think it was, after having been categorically excluded since like the late 90s. Um, the Marshall Islands were our place where like, you know, API people fucking live. Like it's a Pacific Island. Yeah. And they were in the 40s and 50s, like a nuclear bombing test site for the United mm. States. Mm. Um and so we start to see, like, as we try and develop, like, this coalition, this concept of AAPI, like, the necessity lies in recognizing that the one thing we have in common isn't necessarily, like, you know, something as simplistic as, like, you know, uh, you know, a hashtag or whatever. Um, it's it's war. Like, yeah. it is just, you know, war unilaterally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to add, um, you know, as, like, again, my parents are from Jamaica, the West Indies, and I think that, like... Right. You know, even black Americans can view like the black experience in America as being monolithic. Right. 
But I've had very different experiences as the son of Jamaican immigrants than like most of my Black American friends, right? But it's the way that white supremacy flattens all of these, like, I even hesitate to call them differences, right? Because like they are, but to call them differences also like includes a difference of treatment, right? But when it comes to white supremacy, when it comes to the exploitation of black and brown people, like the international global working class, like those contradictions flatten so much so that you can, as what happened to Asians during like, especially the 1940s and like before that even, right? I mean, we're talking about even the opium wars, right? And I know nothing about that, but at least like the very idea that Asians have always been objectified, right, by Western powers, right? And through that objectification, that has led to dehumanization that has allowed American soldiers, right, conquering these lands, right, to see Asian people as subhuman. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, there's an interesting note as well about like the way the West Indies, like the formation of the concept of the West Indies, like falls into like API identification as well. And like where that, you know, sort of introduces like an interesting intersection or like a point of possibility even um, for like, you know, the whole yellow peril slash black power, like possible point of like coalition building. Mm. Um, But yeah, like the way the white state like forms itself is by like, you know, identifying an other, right? Like it externalizes. And so there's a lot to unpack, like generally, like with the tone things have taken as of just the past week, because I think it really like what to me, what's been interesting and like in light of like the tragedy that happened in Atlanta over the past week is like how the most prominent voices like in the AAPI community have often been like this intelligentsia, right? Um, And they're really having to show their homework on their connection to like the Asian working class, which has largely ended up in the United States as a result of war, as a result of like, you know, forced migration patterns and things like that. Um, I think that's a good thing ultimately. But like, I don't know, for me, like, given the fact that a lot of my work is like, you know, (laughs) like low key, like deeply anarchist, like I'm just like, fuck, like um, these realizations aren't happening faster than like the rate at which violence is happening. You know, where were you? Where were you living before you moved down here? So I was born in the Philippines. So depending on how you sort of identify like first gen immigration, um, I am a first gen immigrant, but you know, like that's solely on account of having been born overseas. Like my experience is largely Americanized. Um, I came here when I was like maybe two years old, possibly Mm. a little bit younger, you know? Um, and I've got like a very standard, like migrant story, especially for people from the Philippines. Um, you know, my mom came here on a green card. Um, she remarried when I was pretty young to a white guy who, for the record, did pretty good by the dad crown that he inherited. <laughs> you know? Um, and like, also like that was against the backdrop of economic precarity. Like my mom loves to say now that she's like settled down in the North Fulton suburbs that she's never held a job. But the fact is she never held a job legally. Hmm. Right. Uh. And that's the, that's the big subtext of the whole thing. Um, and for my part, I was lucky to be naturalized um, as a teenager because I was underage when my mom naturalized. Um, So that means like my mom essentially like was living here as like not a citizen for like 15, 16 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's just uh, I ended I grew up in Florida for the most part in Miami, which is why like, you know, uh, my posts are so fucking shitty and like I'm used to throwing up on the beach or whatever. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, um, for me, like Southern politics, like. Well, the South isn't quite Miami. Absolutely. Like Florida is its own like 
horrifying chimera of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, having gone to school, high school in Alpharetta, and then like coming to Georgia State, which is like a sort of majority black university as well. Um, you know, uh, it's been like a really interesting journey. And I'm happy to talk about that more if that's of any interest. But um, I think Asians, like, especially at this moment, are like trying to find their spot, you know, in the Southern organizing tradition. Well, I think Aaron wanted to ask you a little more about the organizing thing. But before we got to that, I just I just wanted to like, I mean, if it's not, you know, anything that you didn't want to talk about, but if there's anything that you recollect from like either high school or Georgia State that was like, I guess a specifically like Southern kind of experience with uh, any Asian hate towards you or anybody that oh, you knew. okay, okay. Like, so we're getting into like my high school time, like which for the record was extremely like normal, right? I went to a place called Milton High School. Y'all might know oh, it. Oh yeah, I know where that is, yeah. Yeah, it, it literally looks like a government building if you drive up yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, um, They were just like, oh yeah, this is the sexy architecture up here. Um, but yeah, like I had like mostly, I had like almost unilaterally white friends. I don't remember there being a lot of black students when I graduated in 2009. And, um, you know, I, and this is like, we're getting in it now. And like, please stop me if this is an interesting, no, please go my go majority on. white, like, um, friend group who by and large weren't like sort of the wealthy portion of like an otherwise like reasonably middle-class, upper middle-class, upper-class school. Mm-hmm. Um, they did just often just call me like Asian, mm-hmm. like instead of my name, wow. right. Um, they would just be like, Hey, Asian. Yeah. And like, I was like maybe 15, 16 and I didn't really key into that being fucked up until I was like basically an adult. Jesus God. Yeah. How would you react yeah. at the time? I at the time like i felt like um i had just moved i had started high school i was like you know what i've got friends these are yeah right right at least i got friends kind of deal yeah and i think that's a position i'll just deal with it that's a position a lot of minorities are put in right where <laughs> like um i remember not specifically the article but there was this headline in the washington post many many years ago that one of my black friends from high school shared and it just said like your friends from high school weren't really your friends mm-hmm. you know and like yeah, like accidents of proximity and like, you know, emotional vulnerability. Like they were not terrible people, I'm sure. But like just that sheer level of like objectification. Yeah, it was just so normal. Yeah, It just seemed so normal to me at the time. Like I didn't even question it. Yeah, it reminds me, man, when I was a kid, uh, my mom was a nanny and I went with her one day to work when she was taking care of this upper middle class, like white family, like their daughter. Right. And I was at this park with her somewhere in Manhattan and this little boy, like this is the first time anyone's ever called me a nigger. Right. And I didn't know I was like, I might've been like eight or something, man. And I didn't really like, I didn't know what that word like meant, you know, like that's not like a word that later on I would (laughs) grow up to call, like, you know, it was synonymous with comrade with like my brothers of color, you know what I mean? But like, it was just shocking to like sort of like later when I internalized that and thought about it, like, and especially I think with like Asian eight in this country, it's something that's so normalized to a way that people like do not realize, not just white people, black people as well, right? Like even like Asian Americans as well. Like you don't realize that you are like adopting and reproducing this stereotype and this behavior, right? To people. Because like, again, as we were talking about, and especially living in the South, we all know about the Civil War, right? I mean, we can argue about why it started, right? Depending on yeah. your political affiliations. We shouldn't. Exactly. Right. Alex is like, you know, no, you shouldn't, motherfucker. <laughs> it was over the right to own human beings. Those were the state's rights, right? But um, I wanted to ask you and jump to this too, because you were talking about, you alluded to your organizing experience, right? And I feel like I have solidarity with you in one sense that I worked for the Democratic Party, right? So like I've also worked for that institution, right? 
of supposed political change. Uh, when you realize that within it, the same biases, right, the same sort of discrimination, right, that you face out there in the workplace, right, or at school or in your community, you also face in this world that is ostensibly dedicated, devoted to organizing, to making the world a better place. So talk a little bit about your organizing experience as like someone who obviously like wanted to change the world, but who was judged, right? Clearly by, I'm assuming, mostly white folk, right? About your capacity to do so. Yeah. And I think like this is where organizers of color, especially like black organizers, but also like Asian organizers, especially recently, have to sort of come to this like arrival point, right? Where you realize like there's a level of institutional organizing that you're capable of doing and there's a level of extra institutional organizing that you have to do if you actually want things to happen. Um, I have like a very like weird, I don't want to dox my old workplace, but like um, I was definitely like- <laughs> Name um, them. Yeah, name them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's the fun part. Like um, because like I was such a do-gooder, right? And I remain as such, um, unfortunately, like just a, just a baby who wants health insurance and good things to happen, right? Wah, wah. No, right. Um, well, well, I'll, I'll say oh, this. Nice. I do too. But when the time comes, <laughs> yeah, finish yeah, quote. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like all that shit's like out. It's all but, over. Uh, <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> like, bro, like, sorry, HR. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I basically worked for a big community um, organization in Atlanta that was implicated in a big racism scandal last year. Hmm. And they had put me in charge of a particular project that would allocate a ton of funding um, throughout the city to specific. Pro- I'm trying to like be very vague, but what I don't know. What was the scandal? Like, if you don't mind, like just sharing some general details, like what happened? I worked for a foundation and uh, they, you know, COVID obviously having begun last year, there were relief funds being allocated. And um, they gave, my boss at the time was a black woman, absolutely fantastic. Um, one of my good friends to this day. And like, she and I were put in charge of a big pile of money to give out to groups, um, 501c3s in the greater Atlanta area. Um, and then sort of at the last minute, a fun switcheroonie happened where they took our recommendations. And, um, and this was also on the cusp of them doing a big DEI initiative in the workplace, by the way. So that made it like very funny as well. DAI? What is, what is that? Uh, DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, um, okay. which for those oh. who aren't familiar like alex you seem like you're familiar right no i um, don't no i, I just like I, 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 that's not what i thought you said earlier i thought you said something yeah. else and you got y'all are I very lucky said, i thought you said a dea initiative and i was like oh, fuck what no, the no. fuck is going that's like, on yeah. that's, like, that's a lot more fun than the thing i'm about to describe like so basically a lot of corporate um you know institutions and like sort of you know organizations that want to seem socially responsible are undertaking something called DEI initiatives. And that stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I'm sure you've seen some of the rhetoric floating around online, right? I mean, we have, um, we have um, that book uh, that everyone talks about that, uh, that white privilege book. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. By, um, yeah. 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 White fragility. Yeah. White fragility. Right. Like it's the same <laughs> it's sort of like privilege. It's, we're fragile. we're fragile. Right. But it's we're like, fragile. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's pretty much like just the, the, not only the rhetoric, but the orthodoxy, right. Of like diversity, training, hiring and whatnot, like mm-hmm. continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so at the time, the organization was doing a big DEI thing internally, and um, they definitely gave a big project for a big pile of money to two people of color, one of whom was a black woman and my supervisor. And um, then they yoinked all that money out and like sort of put it in the hands of a bunch of people who didn't work for that organization. Um, It was a bunch of like white bankers, essentially, Um, people who had sort of dictated the course of this particular culture industry in the city for many years prior. And they're all like, you know, of course, they're like boomer age or older. 
Um, and they looked at our recommendations, like my sort of attempt at like a, you know, sort of slightly more progressive leaning thought process. And they said, hey, buddy, fuck you. Um, and that was a big scandal because then like black people in Atlanta fucking realized they were not receiving any money from this initiative. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was a big thing for a couple months. And the way these things always break down in the NGO sphere is you have a panel and like some white people say, my bad. And then they funnel money into possibly black led NGOs or nonprofits. Um, but like, you know, I think like as regards like, you know, your experience in the DNC as well, Aaron, like this comes to a point where it's like a uh, toxic place is more likely to fuck with you than you are to fuck with it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I mean, eventually, too, what you what you realize is that like, you know, no one is born like a leftist. No one's born a communist or an anarchist. Right. So like we all really are liberals in the sense that we don't even have like political parties, like an apparatus. Right. To like express like our political views right so you enter this like space and you think that like these are people who care about people who look like me even if they don't look like me right mm -hmm. and i'm willing to like contribute like you know my passion right to do this job you know not just for myself but for other people for everyone and then you kind of find out like no nah, man this is still dictated by a white supremacist system and it's couched in liberalism right which is so insidious Right. Because it's the same kind of people who have like Black Lives Matter signs on their lawns or as we're about to talk about, you know, people who are expressing condolences and, you know, or who, who are saying like, you know, uh, their their prayers. Right. You know, for what's happened here in Atlanta. But these are people who have been talking about China. Right for the last like fucking like, yeah. four to like eight years, right? The people right. who love reading Time Magazine, which who the fuck reads Time Magazine? Sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People I'm who like... are waiting for the doctor to tell them they're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> and, like... Which is Time's headlines. <laughs> like every, the cover is literally about, this is how you're going to die. I'm like, there's some like, <laughs> like some fucking 56 year old weirdo out there in like fucking Manhattan or whatever with like Time Magazine cover posters in their home. And I'm Oof. like, bro, you gotta love yourself more than that. You, you you know, to transition into this, man, I'm thinking about something now. Um, I was uh, watching the show with my girlfriend. Um, I don't remember what show it was, but it's a it's a comedy. Right. And for some reason, like there's this scene where um, it's, a, it's a show about actually a movie about the end of the world. That's what it is. And their power go out. Right. And I think he finally leaves the house and talks to a neighbor, an elderly gentleman. And he says, has your power gone out? Like he's trying to find out what's going on. And this dude and it's an in joke. Right. The, the writers put this joke in. This dude suddenly starts talking about, oh, it's the Chinese. Right. They have like a, uh, they have like this EMP device that has like cut out our power. And that's what it is. And meanwhile, you as the audience. Right. Because you're the good white liberal watching this. You see that as a joke. Yeah. Oh, you're like, that's insane. That's crazy. But we actually know for a fact because of Trump, but also because of Democrats, liberals like Joe Biden, the rhetoric against China, which has been subsumed, right, and expressed through anti-Asian, like, racist, like, hate, right, hate crimes especially, like, in Atlanta, this is actually fuel this, right? But people don't recognize it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, and I'm sorry to butt in, but, like, no, I think this point's, like, one of the flat, like, we spoke earlier about, like, the sort of flattening effects of white supremacy, right? Um, which means that the proliferation of, like, xenophobic rhetoric, like, it doesn't matter where the fuck I'm from, right? Like, and it doesn't matter where the fuck you're from, right? Like, you're a Jamaican, like, West Indies, like, Black American, but, like, to some fucking weirdo on the street, you're just a Black guy, 
you know, yeah. and I'm just an right. Asian lady. And they like, called you Asian. They didn't call you Filipino. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, and I know there's like probably a whole like terrain to go into about how like, you know, everyone's like maybe more comfortable being reductionist, like, you know, in their own ways and their own time. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't fucking matter because it exposes you to the same level of violence no matter what. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I guess like, uh, to get into it then, um, I mean, I don't know, man, like I, I usually check Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, like when I wake up in the morning and that's how I find out about news. Cause I'm diseased. Apparently, oh, hard but, uh, same. Uh, like, yeah, I can't, yeah, I literally uh, can't stop that's what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> No, no, no. It's it's definitely an expression of powerlessness. But, uh, you know, I checked uh, the news and I saw what happened. And um, I think that there is something very horrifying about living because I live outside of Atlanta, but I live in Atlanta. Like, I, I, I mean, I live in Georgia and I live close enough to Atlanta where when things happen here that blow up nationally, um, it feels very close to home, but especially when something like this happens, right? We were talking about this earlier about how like the racism, right? And the struggle against racism, like down here in the South in Georgia often has been couched through terms of like a black and white dichotomy. But I don't think anyone expected this. I mean, anyone who wasn't paying attention, right? To the xenophobic anti-Asian rhetoric over the past four years and prior, right? I don't think anyone was expecting this. Like, what were some of your thoughts, man, when you learned about what had happened? So like on a purely superficial level, and I think this is something maybe you both can relate to, like just like as someone who's been doing leftist organizing for a long time, like you sort of take it personally when things just get fucked that hard, right? Exactly. Because you're just like, I've been Why in this work. here? <laughs> exactly. Why <laughs> us? Why and us? Meaning like, you know, like people who I'm empathetic with, well, yeah. right? who I'm fighting for as well. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I think leftism, like operating leftism takes a certain degree of like kindness and empathy, you know, and like to have put in the work for as many years as like, the two of you have and as many years as I have and to just see like, you know, you, you like, I know it's not like, I was, I was just like, I'm not an organizer. I think that like, this is too much of an aside, but I'll just say this. I think that even talking to someone at a bar, right. About these ideas, right. Is in your own small way, you know, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. It's the elevation of class consciousness. Like how much learning did I do from Facebook comments? Like back in the day, right. Like it's just going to be things like that. But even yeah, I think you sort of take these things personally. Like you're just like, oh, I work so hard for good things to happen. And then actually really shit things happen constantly forever. And I guess I'll just die here. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, um, so the thing is about like initial reactions is like, and it's tough because like, you know, I wanted, I wanted to say that like, you know, as someone who was a student organizer during like 2014 and 2015, I was like, I have empathy for like this particular specific kind of moment. And I really strongly feel as though I did. And I strongly felt as though I did, but all the same, it does fucking hit different, you know? Um, and like, that's my short sightedness at work, obviously. Um, I think it was when the ages of the women came out Mm -hmm. that like, I was like sort of, uh, my mother um, it was born in like the 60s. So she's in like her late 50s right now. And most of those women were like sort of in that age. And like, I have like a very standard migrant person background, you know, like I came over when I was really young. Um, my folks split also when I was really young. And my mom remarried a white person, which is a pretty common thing for Filipino women, I think, who end up in the U.S., And we just went where the money was, right? Hmm. But in that interim period, before I was naturalized, um, my mom, you know, she loves to say she never worked, like I said, a day in her life. But she, the fact is she worked jobs extra legally, you know, under the table or just to keep food on the table. And like... Um, I think like there was like a sign at the San Francisco rally that took place with the weekend as well. That was like, can't keep calm. Don't hurt my Asian mom. And mm. like, you know, as someone who has a very complex, but like ultimately like 
you know, painfully loving relationship with their mother. Like, you know, I was like, fuck, you know, you can imagine that being her. Yeah, absolutely. I could. And like, it's so interesting because like, um, I mentioned this as well on Twitter, but like this motherfucker came from like Woodstock or whatever. Right. Worth or some dumb shit like that. Yeah. And also the fact that he got there as quickly as he did, you know what I'm saying? Like this was like clearly, with intent like you had a target it is so explicitly with intent because like you have to go out of your fucking way to find those specific locations in south buckhead like i used to live there like you know piedmont intersects with sydney marcus um and i had an apartment there with a former partner for a couple years and like yeah like this guy went specifically looking for a place that he thought like in regards whether or not it's true which i don't know if it is but like regards whether or not it was a place where sex work was on offer or anything like that like uh or that he'd been there before yeah like first of all how is this fucker really coming down all the way uh, yeah whatever Uh, yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) but yeah it is so explicitly targeted so specific absolutely he knew where he was going he knew what he was doing so let me ask you a question too because like a lot of what we saw uh the rhetoric right was that this wasn't racially motivated because as the cops said they parroted like exactly what he said Oh, oh that's because so nice. it wasn't. It's so nice. Oh, so they, he had give, a bad they day. give him a, give him a chance to speak. Get, yeah, he had a let, bad day. Let, let's let him. Let's let him. Let's sound let off. him. Let's let him sound off and tell us how it wasn't racially motivated, right? And that pissed me off because it's like it's his dude, word against theirs. It's his word against <laughs> theirs, right? Also, the fact that like, dude, we live under racial capitalism, right? It's like the water that we swim in. Anything that happens, whether or not an individual admits that it was racially motivated, it's the society, it's the ambient background noise of our society, right? Like, how did you feel about that when people were saying that? What's your response to that, that this wasn't racially motivated? Like, it was almost, like, to me, it struck me as almost quaint, right? It's childish to assume that it wasn't racially motivated. Um, Again, because if you want to, like... That area of South Buckhead is like rife with like, you know, strip clubs and shit like that. So if you had a sex addiction that I guess required like violence as some kind of like fucking outlet for your fucking problems. Um, I don't like think you're ten- driving all the way from wherever he was from unless you've been there before. Yeah. First of all, fucking exactly. And second of all, like y'all went to like, you know, the sub five Asian specific places on that fucking strip. Like yeah. it's childish. It's people who want to live in a fantasy world where they're like, you know, sort of um, passive racist underpinnings are somehow justifiable, you know, right. just childish nonsense, honestly. Again, it, obviously, this is a racially motivated thing, but I also do think that it's an example of, you know, another person objectifying a sex worker to some point so far that like they don't really care whether they live or die as an abjection of like they're just release at some level yeah. that they just want to, you know, yeah. get what they can out of somebody that they don't even think of as a person yeah it's not it's not even it's elevated beyond and i think that like you know we've seen this and i'm not gonna say trump was the one that like jump-started this 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 mm. is something that's been latent for a while now but it's gone beyond like you know i, I don't i don't know if fuck it i'll say it right i always make a joke right and i was like yo i'd rather you call me a nigga than give me a tax credit because of it right you get to this fucking point where it's like liberals will utilize like racial capitalism right under the guise of like you know equality of opportunity and ignore right systemic racism and hundreds of years of imperialism right in order to you know blanket something as progress which i'm gonna ask you too right i mean under trump i think that when uh COVID happened people were very aware of right the fact that there was like you know anti-asian rhetoric he was attributing like the 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 virus to china right 
But now, because we have Joe Biden, who has also used harsh rhetoric, right, against Chinese people and therefore also Asians and Asian Americans. Yeah, Joe Biden has had a whole career built off of having strong rhetoric about things. Exactly. Yeah, like, so, so talk about that a little bit now. That's one way to say it. That's one way to say it, right? <laughs> so, so talk about that a little bit too, like I guess to end off with like, you know, we're under a new administration now, right? We've gone beyond hate. You know, because we've elected a uh, good old Uncle We're Joe. We're building back better. We're building back better. We're building but, back better beyond hate. Exactly. We're going to build back better beyond hate. I mean, this sounds like so deeply cynical. And again, this is real views are my own moment because I think the Asian groups I work with are like doing excellent things out there in the field with like sort of the tools that they're given and the tools that they land with um, contextually. But like this speaks to like um, I have like a certain concern about the hashtag stop Asian hate, mm. um, you know. And like, it's stupid, right? Like, um, but like, given the ready co-optation of like the Black Lives Matter, like, you know, insignia by capital and things like that, I feel as though, I mean, this is just like, I think liberals have a certain way of utilizing the power of technocracy to like sort of direct attention away from the immediacy of like harm, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, what they're going to do is, and it was interesting because I attended this vigil, the vigil on Saturday, which was like both a beautiful moment because apparently there were like 5,000 people in attendance. Um, you know, and there's this moment where like, you know, one of our local representatives, B. Nguyen, who was absolutely fantastic as a speaker, um, and like as an Asian rep here in the state of Georgia, but like, she like had to shout down some folks who were like sitting on a wall at the back of Liberty Plaza. Right. And she was like, if you don't get down from that wall, they're going to ask us to leave the park. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. uh, like she like on one hand, I know where she's coming from because she is a, yeah. you know, a state yeah. fucking representative yeah. Yeah. and like has like, you know, a little ID um, with a very formal font that says she's a state representative. Mm-hmm. But like, I think to the point where liberalism points to a moment like this of like a moment of incredible grief and like incredible tragedy mm-hmm. for like, a huge subsection of the population and says, yes, but our, the manifestation of this grief, like has such like, um, permanent limitations, right? That that's what we saw over the summer, right. With the movement for black lives, right. For black liberation, right. Is that now we're told like what we can and cannot do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think liberalism and like people who even identify as just like progressives, like they have such a difficult time, like envisioning, they, they have such a difficult time empathizing with like the violence that has um, sort of been brought to bear against like black communities and Asian communities. Like they have no sense of like reckoning with that history. And so they don't see that any kind of like material gain, no matter how small policy gains or whatever it was gained by like people incurring incredible amounts of violence wi- willingly, you know, mm-hmm. like not getting down from a wall, not backing down, like subjecting themselves to more harm than they are already subjected to um, because the moment was so urgent. Like, they, I don't think liberals are capable of recognizing the urgency of like, you know, the present time. No. Um, and they're going to use technocracy. They're going to pass policy. Like I like I was in a cab like just this morning, even where they were just like, hey, did that hate crime legislation pass through Congress? And it's like, who the fuck cares if that hate legislation, hate crime legislation passes? Right. It's not going to fucking stop anything. No, um, because liberals, what they tend to do is that like they individualize and atomize. Right. These systemic issues. Right. Into one person, one act, you know. And they don't actually address the material issues, right? In the history, you know, the dialectical history, this like, you know, the historical dialectism of like this event. Yeah, they've all got Francis Fukuyama brain, right? And I'm sure every exactly. leftist podcaster like knows what the fuck that's about. Basically, like, you know, everyone thinks like, you know, after the Cold War ended, like there was a fun exclamation point on good things and bad things. And so I think it feels so for like a certain, to me, it's like a class issue that tends to be just heavily racialized, right? Like yeah. it's just like, 
um, for the most part, white, middle class and upper class people are just like, hey, you know, we've sort of put a pin in this conflict for right now. And anything else we can just legislate, we can just bureaucratize. Um, But the thing is, like, policy never moves at the pace of violence. You know, that's something that I feel very strongly about. I don't know. There's like no immediate way to like push through bills to like balance the police budget out with like a kind of community aid budget, you know, and that also speaks to the limitations of the 501c3 organizing system. Mm. Right. So, mm. man, I don't yeah. fucking know. I, I just want to say to end off to you, like you can't like, you know, budge Joe Biden to the left on imperialism. Right. Especially when it comes to issues of China. Right. And I don't care what flavor of leftist you are. Like the idea that we, the United States, would masquerade like imperialism as diplomacy, right, towards like, you know, the Chinese Communist Party and then incentivize and galvanize like Asian hatred, racism in the United States and not understand how imperialism is a factor in that. Like that's like that's a big fucking oversight, man. Yeah. Like regardless of whether or not you have like a good like a storied perspective on the CCP or whatever, like um, it's irresponsible at best at this point, especially at this point when, you know, we're finally starting to see some of the, like the crazier and like more violence, um, sort of outgrowths of like decades and centuries of xenophobia. Like it's something that just speaks to like, you know, the domination that white supremacy enjoys over every potential political project, you know? Um, and to not, sort of take this apart in the lens of like recognizing that American imperialist policy is like behind a lot of the violence that happens in our streets, like the difficulty that people have financially, economically, personally in their own homes. Like it, like at this point, I'm just saying like, it's childish. Like we can, we all like it's childish. It's childish. <laughs> and, and like, you know, I'll, I'll say this man before, um, you know, we had out is that I especially enjoy talking to you is because like, I'm also like, you know, well, I'm the son of immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've had like very parallel experiences. But when it comes to like class struggle in this country and struggle for racial justice, a lot of people will sort of ignore the connections, right? Between black people, right? Between like Asians, right? Even between like white people as well and brown people, you know? And it's like kind of helpful, you know, to talk to comrades of color and like kind of make this like known to people, you know what I mean? That we have like nodes of solidarity that we should expand upon, especially like in a moment like this right now. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, Like I think like part of the gift of like having lived in the South these past like many years is just um, like one of the 51C3s I organize with and some of the groups I organize with, like they operate just straight out of the black radical tradition. And it's recognizing that the enemy like, you know, isn't, we do need the space to split hairs all we can, like, you know, within ourselves. But at the end of the day, like white supremacist violence is just like, you know, it falls like a blanket on all of us, you know? And we're starting to see that front and center right now. Yeah. Anna, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate you. you, Um, Where can people find you? Like, you know, not just your social media, but whatever projects that you're involved in right now. Um, Yeah. So social media wise, I'm just on Twitter at Doc Fission. Um, Doc is in doctor fission as in the opposite of fusion. Um, It's all just, uh, you know, I'm another comedian out of work. So I just talk about come a lot or in like politics or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, In the posting wars, um, indeed. I love it. Yeah, the posting wars. Like, just, you know, live and die on the posting mountain. (laughs) Can we Um, see you back at Starbar when it's all back open? I know, 
All right. Yeah. Um, thank you. So I do want to plug the work of NAPOF, National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. It's definitely like a little bit of a mouthful, but I think they're actually one of the best resources for mutual aid work here in ATL, like both because and in spite of their 501c3 status, which I think is really interesting. We should we should have you on like an, another time to talk about like organizing and the way these uh, classifications, right, of, uh, yeah, these organizations, the way that works and impedes like the work that they ostensibly like believe in, right? Yeah, I think like people are really committed to movement work right now have to like be like almost tragically flexible, right? Yeah. Like as much as like, I want to commit all my time to like trying to flip over a cop car in my spare time. Like at the end of the day, like where I have to meet my people where they're it's at. It's probably more productive. It takes at least speaking. 15 minutes. I'm saying, I'm saying like, uh, but then they'll lose their like, I don't know, tax deduction. And exactly. that like, you know, if I wear the button when I'm flipping over the cop car, like I'm in trouble. And or, everyone or go to jail yeah. for the rest of your life. You know, that's, that's not, yeah. that's not nice either. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there, yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack as regards like methods of organizing and like levels of engagement. Other than that, yeah, just snap off. Um, thank you everyone who's sort of turned out for like the AAPI community over the past week or so. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And like you have my gratitude and the gratitude of like countless others. Um, and finally, I want to plug uh, my sister's new baby born at 9 a.m. this morning. Oh, <laughs> the hey. is- <laughs> new baby, new baby just dropped. Not really just dropped. This is the first baby like- ever born on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> God, yes. We had a podcast. Now we have a pod baby. Thank you, man. Oh my yeah, God. Sorry, Aaron. Sorry, Alex. I just want to throw that shit out there. Plug in Benjamin Gregory, who I referred to Benny Boy for the rest Benny of my boy. life. And Benny else. Boy. Benny, the, the, you, you were born in some rough ass times. Benny Boy. It's only getting better from here. Yeah, it's only going to get better from here. It's only going to get better. We have to. We have no choice. Just want to be the first person to embarrass that kid. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I hope he listens to this episode. Yeah, no, it's going to be in the dustbin of history. He'll never listen to this episode. It'll be so funny when it's like yeah when i was a baby the day i was born our, our chairman, my aunt put me on a podcast our aunt was on a podcast with our chairman i was like yeah thank you guys yeah, yeah. um it's been really wonderful talking to you yeah it was um, great to meet you it was nice yeah. to finally meet you Anna. thank you so much comrade comrade of ours we were talking about what happened in atlanta last week but also her personal experience as uh, an asian american a pacific islander about um what's been going on so uh yeah that was great it was great to meet her and i uh, really do appreciate your perspective um yeah. now we got like i said we got the bears back yeah. and uh you know i'm making a little noise for pete here on the recording yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm loving this Ah, ah, okay, they're they're her. Ooh, two greens. Okay, and they're, they're um, Haribos. Yeah, they're Haribo. Original they're gold bears, but I got two greens. Like I just said, and <laughs> you guys, uh, I'm gonna eat these bears here while you guys <laughs> talk about your little little stupid superhero movie. I uh, I for one. Yeah, I have perfected the art of uh, consuming content by watching The Sopranos again and again and again, which and is again. clearly like you know fucking like highbrow art. The TV guy said it was the Compared best show ever made, so I mean, I just watched that. And like, what are you well, some would say that... The, I just uh, watched that and Citizen Kane over and over again. <laughs> That's <laughs> the back. The number ones. Some would say 
that the, uh, the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League was the best version of that movie ever made. I, I would argue that that's probably true. I thought Snyder's cut was a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> or like a cut of pastrami or meat or something. It was a deli meat. That's all I got. Can I get a Snyder's cut? No, yeah. you, you guys go. So I saw it. I've been on the record numerous times <laughs> saying that uh, Batman versus Superman hurt me, that I would Fucking never nerd. let them hurt, it, hurt me again. Fucking nerd. Um, that... Yeah, I've gone so far as to say that I knew that Trump was going to win in July 2016 <laughs> because of what happened in that film, um, in and around that film. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. What sure, is, sure. In, like, in, in a sentence, what's your thesis behind watching that movie and knowing that Donald Trump was going to become president of the United States? Okay, so the real, the real theory that I had there was that it was an experience of seeing something that everyone should know. <laughs> like, they should absolutely know. And I don't care if you're laughing at me. But they are laughing. They should be. If you're not <laughs> laughing now, cue laughter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but like it, it's the idea that something so awful could break through like the fabric of reality and cause people to go no actually you don't get it this is the most smart thing you've ever seen well were people saying that about like batman superman yes it was, was saying that? well it was this the concept thing. of four-dimensional chess <laughs> like as it, as it were it was very strange it was like this subset like people are all still worried about like firing up like Zack snyder fans because they're still on this tip from 2016 where they're like something the terrible they're like the k-hive yeah yeah i mean yeah k-hive blue maga regular so, so maga so, whatever so, you so want to call it it's all the man. same i have i have a couple of thoughts about this movie which i'll open it up with this man that had one of the worst openings to like any Trash. like yo because it's just him screaming and the reverberations of like the echo of his screams of that awakens all three of the mother boxes yeah. which became like his ah, ah, ah. like it became annoying after oh, like it, I mean, yeah because it just kept going on and they're yeah, like, and I was like we're gonna take you to all these different parts of the world which something that I think is important to mention <laughs> about this movie is that you are not really supposed to know any of these people and yet they show you a mother box in a closet and cyborg in a hoodie turn around to look at it before you're supposed to even yes. have any idea okay. who that is. So second point I'll bring up, right? Besides like that horrible opening to that film, which like caused me to look at my phone and be like, has this, how, what times, like if you have to look at like, you know, like the timer, like and see like how long has this been going on, you know, it's trash. But secondly, in terms of just like Marvel has had 20 something years, right? To build up their cinematic universe, right? From fucking Iron Man, right? Yeah. Like, DC has just been at it, like, not even with the Nolan films, but they've just been at it a couple of years. Will you say something else? Almost 20. 20 something. Oh, almost. You're 20-something. Yes, yo. If you can, if you count Iron Man came out of 2008, right? Are we really counting true. Blade? Oh, wait. No, it's 10 then. So it's like an over de- it's like a decade. Yeah. I mean, it's I like mean, 15. What, what is time? Time what is a flat circle. The reason I'm not cares. participating. Oh, you have a Jeremy letter. <laughs> yes, I do, and it didn't work. What is the Jeremy? Which Don't cut it out. What is the Jeremy? I copped like? it in Love Five. Where yeah, Jeremy so sells I, them. he sells them. Yeah. Wait, 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 hold on. Mine's dead, but Don't, I have it at home. Don't cut this out. Why is it? Why is this lighter that says Jeremy significant to both of you? Because he sells them out in Little Five. Okay. It's wait, it's wait. significant to me because I found a white one just on the street. One Why day. does it matter? When and it said Jeremy, white? right? But it was just a guy's name. Aaron, right? ask who sells them. Who sells them, Jeremy? Jeremy. Wow. You just answered the question. Yeah, dude. 
Why'd you, you ask? You can modify your own name and put it on the lighter and make money. Anyway. Anyway, I anyway. found one once and then I saw him selling them the other time and I was like, well, I got to get the other one. So did you get the I have one? both. I <laughs> have the white and the black Jeremy. You're lighter. a collector of Jeremy lighters. Yeah, and I saw that Beat has one and I appreciate it. So well, my sir, question if before you was have that, a Jeremy lighter, please send us a DM. Yeah. Actually, you're Jeremy and you're listening if, to this If show, you're Jeremy, like, yeah. You get a free subscription then. We will. We will yeah, say I don't know why you're paying. Yeah, why are you paying? You're free free Jeremy. subbies for Jeremy. You're free subs selling for lighters Jeremy. to pay for his Adam. <laughs> free Jeremy, bro. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> free, free Jeremy. <laughs> what was your question? Go ahead. Well, yeah, Iron Man came out in 2008. First of all, but it's really sure. honestly the reason that I don't want to participate in these or any of these conversations is that it's such disrespect that you don't consider the Sam Raimi Spider Man a, a part of the Mar- Marvel Cinematic. Sam universe. Raimi was yo. Have we talked about this? Before? I feel like I've said this. Listen, wait. I feel like I've said this. Sam Raimi was 30. Something years old playing high school man. Like I'm sorry. Like no, Andrew that was Garfield. Toby Maguire. Oh wait, yes, Sam yes, Raimi, and Sam Raimi yeah, in yes of the director. Oh, yes, wow, yeah. what an Fun. educated Yo, take. All white people it doesn't matter. Yo, director, actor it doesn't fucking matter. They did the same person. They, they, listen, I would. This is one thing I want to bring up before we get too far ahead of this. Another disappointing thing about that film, like because that film, as you said, it it, it tries to make you care about these characters who you never fucking met before. No, but you had Martian Manhunter. Like I heard, it was supposed to be how uh, it was supposed to be. Uh, uh, John, John, uh, John, John. No, no, no. It was supposed to be the Green Lantern. Uh, the black. Oh, Green John Lantern. Stewart. It's supposed that to be John Stewart. That would have been better. But for some reason, I guess is like the Green Lantern's name, John Stewart. Yeah, one of them is what is it? What is it? <laughs> the black guy's name is John Stewart. Yeah. But listen, check it though. So I heard that there, he was supposed to be like sneak peek to that film, which also would have made no sense because why would you also care about this character who's just getting like it's like Easter egg? They're just throwing it in, yeah. throwing it in, right? But the Martian Manhunter shit was insane because in the DC universe, Nick, he's a Martian. He can fly. He can regenerate. He's super strong. He's super fast. He's super durable. Like, he can fucking, like, be intangible. He can be invisible. He's a shapeshifter. He can astral project. Yeah. He can literally read minds. He has telekinesis. He has a Martian vision, nigga. He's also they, an incredible grief counselor. And they, yes, they made him cope the whole time, bro. The two, the first thing you saw him in, you think he's Martha Kent, right? Going to Lois Lane to, like, console her, right? And, and bring her back to the world of the living is what... John Jones, a.k.a. Martian Manhunter, a.k.a. Martha Kent, is telling Lois Lane. Then, like, he fucking... You think it's Martha Kent the whole time, right? And then she leaves the apartment. And you just see this, like, he tries to make this epic scene where he films it from the bottom of the, like, the staircase of the floor of the hat. Yeah. Where his cape, he shakes his Yeah, shows him, like, morph from Diane Lane into a Martian. Yes, and he's like, the world needs you too, Lois. And I'm like, nigga, the world needs you. You are the most powerful being in the universe. And Darkseid is I think they should have not followed up on that, and they should have just had... And it would have been in perfect, like, Snyder continuity if they would have just shown Martian Manhunter... Reveal himself in that hallway, and then we never fucking hear from <laughs> him again. again. And at the end of, the, and that's the thing. At the end of the movie, he fucking he makes comes back and he just makes sure that he, we know who he is from the comics. Bro, I'm Martian Man. Or the <laughs> world almost ended. Like people yeah. had to almost die for you no, to come at the end of the movie and be like, "I was here the whole time." But like, just know in the sequel, I'll be back. And there's no fucking sequel. Well, that shit is exactly also what happens in Batman versus Superman with Wonder Woman because, like, right up until the very end, she's like packing for a flight and she watches like some videos of like the flash and cyborg on her computer but then she's like oh damn my flight's getting ready and meanwhile superman and batman are like fighting doomsday and she's like 
Fuck. And I don't even know that they're I, I gotta get to the, the South Terminal. <laughs> yeah, Martha, she, why did you say that name? She literally turns around because someone has like a news report on in the plane while she's packing her That happened in this, this, That's what happened in this fucking movie too, yo, where she finds out that they lit they've they've uh, lit that ancient fucking like whatever oh, yeah. and she finds out from a news yo. Okay. Uh, y'all don't, don't we, oh, we do have to move on. Listen, we'll move on. I'm just I've been fucking saying. Over here making like gummy bears, like, <laughs> like they're pretending to fuck. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like action figures when you're eight and you're just like trying to. Be, yeah. Oh yeah, that's I mean, a lot. That's, that's a lot better than what you guys that are talking about. That is what we're watching. That is four listen, hours. Listen, well, listen, if it had more four action, hours, it would have been four hours. Listen, listen, it was mostly not. It was it was not good. But listen, this this I think this is a good transition. So yeah, we went from talking about uh you know the defenders of Earth. Uh, the Justice League uh, battling. Now I got the Defender uh, of America. We, well, we have the Defender of America now. As the Justice League was battling a, a multi-dimensional being, uh, Joe Biden had to battle a flight of stairs. It it's did, it it's did honestly <laughs> very funny to me that like I've flown maybe three or four times in my life. And I've never had to climb stairs well, on yeah, the well, plane. Well, you, when you're actually a fucking not, passenger, not the, you know, well, it's a passenger him. thing. You just fucking go through the thing. But like that being said, it's like, yo, he fell three times. Yeah, three, definitely three. Okay, I was okay. Well, we were wait, talking wait, about this wait, the other before, day. We were talking about this the other day, and Pete told me I was a I was a believer of the two falls school <laughs> of thought. But Pete and Aaron turned me on that there was three. Yeah, no, we, this is seen, a three-fall podcast. Well, and also, yeah, this is the official stance of the podcast is that he fell three times. Thrice. Thrice. It's a thrice, <laughs> thrice upon the stairs to the plane. He fell. Thrice. Thrice upon the stairs. One, two, three. And, and what's also magical about not only learning that it was three and not two... Is that I learned about it at all because I let, I let my phone like sit in my pocket for more than 20 minutes and I didn't look at Twitter. It's cold. And, and Pete and or Aaron texted to the group, well, we got to talk about the fall. And I was like, he fell? <laughs> three times. And yes, he did. <laughs> yes. Three times Thrice. he fell. Just don't and, forget. And really the breakdown of it is. I, I don't care who you are or how you feel about the man. He did recover the first time very quickly. <laughs> like, he got right back. It was like a he half got, fall. Well, yeah, he it got, was like a He was like, no, 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 one, no one saw that. Right? Oh, so he recovered And then, like and then the second much. time and the third time where he's like parallel with the bar and like not... It takes him a second. Very because much I know, like, don't get sick, don't I, get sick I, energy. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't throw up. Yeah. <laughs> because right. you know in his head he's saying... God damn! Like, like, how much better would it been if he puked? (laughs) I was making myself, what I was doing all week, I was making myself laugh because, like, uh, Jinsaki didn't say anything and she refused to comment on it in the press conference, like, right after. And everybody was asking about it, of course. But I was making myself laugh all week with just him being like, listen, I I dropped my penis. I was going upstairs, I dropped my penis. I had to pick it up. I didn't want to roll down the stairs. You know, some guys happens to guys sometimes they drop their penis and it's like it's a slinky. You know, it falls down the stairs. It keeps going. It's momentum. Listen. What we what we do forget about Joe Biden mm-hmm. is that he's the first modular man. I think what was the funniest thing about it, and like mind you, it was so funny that like I closed the video before it finished because I was laughing so hard. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I was, it was like, it was like you know when you like. 
I don't know, man, like, you know, you eat junk food or like, you know, you have something nice and you just want to like dabble in it just a little bit. It's like yeah. watching you know porn I mean? you come, you don't feel yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, 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 but see, this was the climax. You make sure you laugh very, closure. very hard. The old man falls yes. down and you're like, well, I don't need to no. see the rest of that. But this was the climax though. This was the actual orgasm, man. Was when he when he recovered the third time, <laughs> and he walked to the top of the fucking stairs, and he turns around and salutes. Yeah, bro, that, that salute is funny. On a dime, he's like, yeah, I'm like, all good. Legs <laughs> swings around like poop. It's like it's like fucking like you know when your like drug friend like is leaving your apartment and falls down the stairs. Well, he grabs both rails for the rest of the duration up. And he's rolling. He's like, I'm not falling a fourth time. He's rolling somehow while holding on to both stairs and then just gets up and tips his hat and says good night and walks out. That was amazing. You know I what? I meant to do that, dude. You know what? I meant to fall. How do the troops feel about that? I think I I, I think they feel bad. I think that I the need to check in with the troops. I think they fell internally, like morally, like when when Joe Biden. Oh yeah, because yeah. I mean, you, you get up there and salute. Like, is if, that the guy you want saluting you? If if he had the guy like, who can't even walk a up sense of humor, maybe he would be like a little shrug or something. Like, oh, <laughs> yo, what is that? Yeah, that's all. Let me ask you a question. If it happened to Trump, like, which is why this see this is why you never saw a Trump stumble. You never saw a Trump fall because I'm sure this motherfucker is always hyper aware of how he appears to other people. Was like, he planning, wasn't he planning like a Willy Wonka style entrance somewhere? I mean, that, oh, that the big like, fall. Yeah, like the like yeah. way Gene Wilder does. Oh it. no, he was. He he was talking about like that he was going to like come up to the podium looking really like feeble weak, and then he was going to like drink water the way that pete drank my beer but no no oh listen no no and no it's good no, as hell no it, it was good as hell you know i hope you like covid but no i'm kidding <laughs> but like yo wasn't that just his like fucking like announcement speech with him just like i know i, I wasn't like i guess the fucking genie no i think somebody had to shit. talk him out talk i think somebody literally had to talk donald trump out of oh pretending. he was gonna do the superman no 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 no, no he no. was he said he was maybe do okay, it. that Wait, might also be after true. after he got covid he said that he wanted to be able to like come out there like looking like, really weak and then bust yes, open yes, his shirt yes, and have a suit i remember the really wonky style yes fake out yeah i remember that it That's, would have been better if you did the whole Can you like, imagine Donald Trump pretending to lose a cane? That would be so funny. Can you imagine him acting? He's appeared in films he's and he spikes actor. the camera he's in Home Alone 2. Dude, I feel like. Which means that they would have filmed that multiple times. <laughs> and the best shot of him that they could get in the movie was one where he looks directly in the yeah, camera. Yeah, well, he's the Nicolas Cage or the Tom Cruise <laughs> of like president. Listen, listen. Nick Cage is a fine actor. Nick Cage is Nick Cage in every fucking movie that he's in. And Keanu Reeves. impeccable religion. Clearly, exactly. But to 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 just kind of end this little segment, man. I think what's what I was so uh, upset about, and I was lamenting when he saw the president fall. (laughs) No, that (laughs) that gave me joy because I already knew under Trump that this was going to be one of the funniest presidencies like ever. Like I thought Bush, like I wasn't politically aware enough, and like you know culturally aware enough to like be laughing at like The Daily Show, John Stewart making fun of Bush and shit. But I lived through this and I saw it. And I remember things like staring directly into an eclipse. I remember him looking up at the sky and saying, I am the chosen one. I remember him free throwing fucking bounty at Puerto Ricans. You know oh, what I'm saying? Oh, that like, was Or really just standing in front of a mountain of hamburgers <laughs> yes. saying like, ta-da. <laughs> I, I did not think that they anything. Like, they like the they love it. They love the hamburgers. Or his big voice. 
These the boys. Listen, I see. What else do they eat? The boys. It's, some, it's, it's something else to see how many hamburgers these people put away. <laughs> Yo, you do that too well. All right. So, these people. The, these people. I these mean, other I, things. I, these, I meant football players. These carbon based life forms. <laughs> anyway. Yo, this was funny, man. I think it's like a, a reprieve and a relief, you know, from um, and to segue into our next. Uh, yeah, he was thing. tripping balls, right? Because well, he was too high on weed. He right? was, yes. He was yes. too high on the contact high that he got from all of his yes. staffers. He's become blitzed yes. on wacky tobacco. Dude, yes. Joe Biden was smoking some left-handed cigarettes. So what are we? What are we talking about here? Yon? What? 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 What new? Uh, new horrors, like banal horrors of the Biden administration, have been visited upon us? I don't really understand what level of uh, staffers these people were. Yeah, that's were a all, good question. Uh, yeah. Purged, but I guess at some point last week. All the drug tests came back positive for weed for everybody that sorts the mail or whatever. They, they must have gotten too psyched on inauguration. I don't think it's anybody that does anything very like important. important. Yeah. No. I mean, it's not. But they were saying that they, the cabinet got cleared out or anything. It's it seemed like it, 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 from what I read, it seemed to be like young staff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And like that stuck out to me because one of my big like social you know issue kind of things is the sort of exclusion of millennials and gen z from like the ability to achieve in any kind of workforce to whatever degree they might want to but like just being shut out and this is like a very acceptable means of shutting people out well not only is that true in any case nationally or internationally, but weed is legal in D.C. It, yeah, that, that, it's exactly. fully legal. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you can't cannot be weed free. outside yeah. in your like exactly, which is why it just like, in exactly. the cops' face. Exactly. It, it reeks of like okay, so like why are you losing your job? It reeks I don't of even weed. think it I don't even of, think the Trump administration did anything as draconian no, as this. You know what I'm no. saying? No. Like, I mean, like, you know, they're not they're, that we're aware of, certainly. Not, yeah, I mean, right. well, there are banal horrors, right? I mean, there are obvious horrors, like, you know, fucking like using xenophobia, right? To like, you know, uh, 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 imprison children in concentration camps, right? And we can all agree that that is like a objective horror. But then there's like the banal kind of thing because of the way the society works, where for some diseased ass reason, People think that like if you smoke weed, you you shouldn't apply to certain jobs or do certain jobs. And this is like exactly like the banal like horror of Joe Biden's presidency, right? Yeah. Because like we're not sure, man. You know, there might not be motherfuckers right in the, out there now, which there still are with tiki torches and shit. But like you're talking about like saying that weed is a gateway drug, and this is why like you won't legalize it, even though it's he, legal in like sixteen. What do you think the actual reasoning? I really think the actual reasoning is because Joe Biden is one of the few national political figures that live right now that still believe in the gateway theory. Like he, in he Reefer Madness yes, he, he was watching Reefer Madness. Like he unabashedly was, believes that weed will make you, like, die. What's his fucking, what's the shit that he was fucking, that bill that he fucking, uh, he was pushing, you know, with a band? Was it Molly or fucking, like... Oh, Rave. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a Rave bill, and there was a lot of talk about how, like, his daughter was definitely going to Rave. So she was enjoying herself. And I was going to Rave, she's getting high on weed. She's getting high on weed, she's listening listening to electronic music. Listen to robots. (laughs) Listen to the robots make music. (laughs) <laughs> she's going to Chuck E. Cheese she's watching those robots make music they're hacking them I went and saw Daft Punk I thought those guys were pretty smart they're yeah. smart guys that's some good boys you're a fucking moron the clothes is out there the clothes is out they want to get rid of my dogs 
<laughs> and I said, yes. my dogs are getting aggressive because they're smelling weed on my interns. Yes. All right. But, uh, you know, I love my dogs. I'm not getting rid of my well, dogs. I'm getting rid of the interns. Did well, he buy his dogs from cops? He bought it, we bought our dogs from Delaware cops. Yeah. Yeah, apparently, uh, I think I think there was they're Delaware cop dogs. <laughs> I think there, I think I think there was like just contestation between his dogs who were like narcs and Kamala Harris because oh, like, who's he, the alpha? Yeah, exactly. who's the alpha? He had to be the alpha. Turns out he had to be the a, alpha. Uh, it was a West Coast East Coast debate that got too far, far out of hand. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, we all know how you know. Obviously, likes Tupac. Yeah, obviously, and uh, you know. Maybe too many of the interns or too many of the staffers like the East Coast style stuff. They like they didn't like Tupac, or maybe they think that uh, Suge Knight's you know, whatever. With, yeah, we're not, Listen, we're not we're claiming not, we're not anything. We're not trying to rehash any yeah, of that yeah, exactly. get fired from here. We know Tupac is safe in Cuba. We know that shit. He's hanging out with Andy Kaufman. We all know that. <laughs> but listen, I, I guess I wanted to just kind of end off like with this and kind of just because uh, when we were thinking about what we we're going to talk about for this like little short segment between three of us, uh, those stories are connected. Well, one of the latest stories like that happened this week, uh, not only Joe Biden uh, falling upstairs and uh, not only his draconian old fashioned, as you said, one of the few fucking people in this country in the elected office that probably genuinely, truly does believe like not, you in know, the gateway. Theory. Yes, exactly. Also, uh, we have, uh, you know, I guess across the pond again, as we did last Ooh. week, man, we got a uh, Prince I, Philip who uh, he's been dead for 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> yes. He's been dead for at least. At, at he least was able to put his body back together with Hellraiser means, <laughs> and was able to sort of recomport his physical form. So he's, re- in order to, he's yeah. reanimated right yeah. now. Yeah. It's yeah. like the intro of the million, the six million dollar man, where it's like we can rebuild and we have the technology. <laughs> but it's, like, it's the doctor saying, "I guess we could rebuild it. <laughs> we do have the technology. We have the racism. But why does he want to stay alive? They point over their shoulder at the technology, and it's just a couple." Rusty knives. You know what right. I'm thinking, man? You know what I'm thinking, bro? Like, usually every episode, like, you have the same image cover, but we should have, like, his face. Like, his oh, face. Oh, yeah. like he's <laughs> staring into eternity. It's a hell. He's like, please, just bring me to, I don't care where I'm going, just take me to the other side. Well, it, like Hellraiser, he is seeing such sights. Yeah. Like, when you look at his face, like, that, that horrified look that he has when he's looking around at human beings, like, you can practically hear, like, the spine sort of rumbling and cracking as he turns his head to look out the window. Like, you're like, imagine, like, every, every like, 15 minutes, like, he just, like, falls into some fucking, like, fugue state. And, like, where he thinks he's dead, where he might as well be. And then he just wakes up every 15 minutes, like, I'm alive. Get me out of here. I'm just alive. Just terrifying Dude, organ music in his head. he wakes up, he must be so mad. <laughs> he's just like... You have got to be kidding me. He's just having visions <laughs> of the Boer world. <laughs> I think I think the reason why I'm afraid that it is because like, you know, we are literally I think I, he was like he so, probably saw that video of Joe Biden falling down the stairs and was like, God, I wish that were me. Could it be me? I think I think the reason why I wanted to bring them, like connect those two things man, is because like a big thing about this show, uh, not just the weekly updates, but the interviews, right? Is about history, right? And kind of analyzing history and the actors, right, in this uh, abysmal, uh, impending barbarism that we're all involved in. But we're essentially ruled by a gerontocracy. That's what makes it so horrifying. It's not just that the ideas and the methodology is old; it's archaic. But literally, so are the fucking people. 
everything's determined by the end game of somebody's entire life career and trajectory that like will never have to answer to the ways that the consequences play out for people that keep living after they die dude that's yo that's like Diane Feinstein when those kids like a couple years ago there's that viral the video. fuck them kids yeah was, literally yeah. the kids were like yo you should support the Green New Deal and she's like well you know like I do things that are environmentally blah blah and she's like you know what you should you, you should become uh, a senator for 85 years <laughs> yeah bro she's going to die like literally her bone like worms will be eating her fucking flesh you know what I'm saying when Florida is literally underwater you know what I mean it's just fucking sick well, I mean, if those kids want to be like her, they could very nearly destroy the Night Stalker investigation. That that was the thing. Mm-hmm. She did that. Well, yeah, she Yo. she she blew up the spot of the people investigating. Uh, Bruh, the Night Stalker. How is it when you peer like deeper and deeper into these people's past? Like you realize, yeah, that, look like, that shit up. They they have a whole fucking cabinet, a closet of horrors that they've uh, accumulated over. Like legitimately, almost years. resulted in that guy being like totally lost the wind because she uh she decided to like have a press conference and give away like everything that they were looking for in the profile. What a piece of fucking shit, yo. Man, I'm not an ageist, but uh you know I do I, hate I, California. Listen, would you let would you let Diane Feinstein or Prince Philip drive your children to school? Would you let Diane Feinstein or Prince Philip or Joe Biden cut a cake? You wouldn't <laughs> We were just talking last week about how Joe Biden could start doing Lyndon Johnson style intimidation by instead of driving people drunk in a, in a, in a, in a amphibious car, just driving people normal. Sober. <laughs> but just being Joe Biden. <laughs> normal style. Uh, sober. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Middle Pennsylvania of the Avenue treatment. Even inside the White House like property. Like just letting him behind the wheel, like where he could at any point just like gun it into the into the wall. I need to see uh, Joe on an ATV. Oh my God. I remember that commercial he had for where he was just like sitting behind the wheel of a Corvette. He's like, you know, my dad, you know, he just used to you sit right behind this wheel and it's just like, boom, I want electric cars. Like, I, you know, I don't know what <laughs> That was kind of the whole idea. But they don't really, I think they show him maybe drive off. Was right? he licking an ice cream cone in that one? He might. He's wearing aviators. Okay. Jeez. That's what I'm He's doing. wearing aviators and he's just like, you know, he's just a car is just, you put your foot on the gas and it goes. Well, uh, who knows how it works? I guess if, if we're leaving it off there, I, I guess something I'd be curious about is like, is there any hope to be found in the fact that these people that have been such a thorn in everyone's sides for so long and just keep sticking around? Is there any hope to be found in the fact that maybe they're going to fucking keel over? Like, I mean, that's the thing, man. Is that like, keep having to take those stairs. <laughs> yo, you know, to that point, progeny. Right. They're kids. You know, if poverty is like socially reproduced, so is like, you know, this weird American aristocracy, political, like corporate elite that we have. So even if these motherfuckers die, man, their kids will inherit all. All right, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the interview we had with Anna um, earlier. And um, yeah, we're going to make this a free one because we want you guys to become patrons. And Yeah, well, if this is your first time hearing me, I, uh, I'm on the other shows that are on the Patreon. Yes. So This is Alex. This is Combat Alex. Alex. Hello. Yes. I'm uh, Pete. And that's Pete. Pete's on episodes, right? But you know Pete. I, I come on. Before. Yeah, you've probably heard me around before. Yeah, <laughs> you, you've heard Pete around these parts. And uh, of course, I'm Aaron. And uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'm out of gummy bears here, so I gotta go. All right. I gotta get more. All right, we're all out of gummy bears. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.